Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 45. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities to help us find balance in our individual journeys. We're excited to meet those of you who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. At any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Make sure to click submit, of course, so it can show up on my screen and I can share it with our guest. Or if you prefer to ask the question yourself, you may dial into our conference line, which is 323-476-3672. Again, 323-476-3672. The ID is 607393-POUND. Again, 607393-POUND. If you are listening to this as a replay, just know that you can con- still type in your question or comment right there in the comment box, and we will have our guest reply to you as soon as we can. This is a very special day, because our guest today is an individual who has been a part of the Yoga family since 2009. Initially, through presenting an online workshop, and then moving on to co-producing with us the Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference in 2010. She is an amazing entrepreneur, yoga instructor, writer, consultant, and most of all, a very dear friend of ours. I'd like to welcome Megan McDonough to Trinity of Life. Hello, Megan! Hello, my wonderful friend. That was a very gracious introduction. Thank you for that. It's really good to see you, to be back with the Yoga Hub family. And now we have video. This is a little bit of an upgrade since we last worked together. Isn't it fun? (laughs) It is. There's a lot more to think about, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) I can't pace back and forth anymore, Christina. Yes, and and we can't be tapping on things. And rolling over my ball and resting oh, on the floor. But I have to tell you, I sit, I still sit on my, my yoga ball. So I get to bounce up and down on it, even on camera. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are watching, don't get dizzy watching Christina bounce. <laughs> I know on, on Magical Medical Tour, Glenn always says to the guests, you know you've excited Christina when she starts bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's very good, my friend, to be back here, and it's good to sort of see, although I can't see your audience, I can picture them in my mind's eye, so it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, wonderful to have you with us. Um, Megan, you know, a lot of the the people who are watching our show may not know a thing about you. Um, Can you share with us a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, So you gave some of the highlights. Uh, I'll tell you that for my professional career, I've always been interested in health and wellness. In fact, I started my professional career in what I would call traditional healthcare. I went to school for nuclear medicine and actually worked in diagnostic imaging um, for a number of years. I'm not going to say how many. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew there was more to the list that I gave out. Yeah, there nuclear was, there medicine. A lot of years, <laughs> nuclear medicine, diagnostic imaging. So I actually worked in the traditional healthcare area. In the 2000, I left traditional healthcare and really switched and focused on training, coaching, consulting, teaching, yoga teaching, um, rather than the traditional health and wellness. Really focusing on the mind body component, in particular yoga. I mean, yoga for me, I've been practicing for two decades. Um, it's my way of, uh, it's my spiritual practice. Um, it's also my way of staying sane. So I come to this experience and here with you today and your listeners and wa- uh, viewers with this idea of both traditional healthcare science background and um, a yoga teaching background and perspective that kind of pulls together some of the things I like to share with people in the hopes that uh, we can all live a life that's more deliberate and more aware. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this is going to be a question that's asked by a lot of people. I mean, you went from one world into many different worlds. Uh, of course, in the world <laughs> of some the... Some people would still say that I'm way out there in some other world. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, that's just the next chapter. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, 
why did you move from from uh, the traditional medical world into this spiritual yoga world? Yeah, you know, it seems from the outside looking in that that might be a weird or strange transition. For me, it was a natural one. Um, what I was doing in the traditional healthcare world just felt somewhat limiting to me, that I knew that there are other ways of being within myself that was more uh, fulfilling for myself and allowed me to explore other avenues. So when I left, it was with this idea of um, an exploration more than an answer. I mean, the idea of living the questions for me is really important. So the questions that I was asking myself at the time, when I worked in traditional healthcare, it was in the corporate space. The questions I was asking myself were, how, how do I make the most of my life? How do I want to give back? What kind of legacy do I want to create? But most importantly, how do I create my own happiness? Um, and for me at that time, uh, working in a standard corporate world was not the answer I knew for me. So I left that um, because I knew that there was more to explore. <laughs> like tapping maple trees. <laughs> like, yes, living on the farm, getting back to nature. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I really, in some ways, hate that question when people say, well, tell me about yourself. Well, you know, I'm a nuclear medicine technologist turned yoga teacher, uh, living on a farm, um, you know, starting new businesses. I don't encapsulate very easily <laughs> into a <laughs> sentence or two bio. I think what I have consistently brought, though, is this idea of um, living a deliberate life. Thoreau went to the woods to live deliberately. You know, he retreated into this beautiful little um, Walden's Pond area, which is great for him. For me, my idea of living deliberately is to jump deeper into the world. Um, you know, he wrote, which is really something I leave on my refrigerator because it speaks very profoundly to my heart. This idea of, um, he wrote, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I come to die, discover I had not lived. And whether it's me moving from the corporate world to yoga teaching or making maple syrup or starting a new business or doing education. The question is, how am I in my life living deliberately? And that translates to your, to your viewers as well. And the question that I would ask them when someone asks, what do you do for a living? It's such a dry question because that's not really reaching to the heart of the matter, which is how are you living your life deliberately on purpose? Um, you know, that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need, um, another cookie-cutter approach mm -hmm. to life. Uh, what the world is screaming for is you in your authentic, true way. You know, this comes to mind if I could tell a quick story. Oh, absolutely. There's a, in the Greek mythology a story of the um, Procrustes, and uh, he was kind of a mean god, you know, when people were trying to pass by um, he'd have a bed that they, he, would, they, he would make them lay in. And it was a trick question because a bed never quite fit. Here, lay down, take a rest. He would end up either cutting them off or stretching them to fit the bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, only, only in the mythology would we have such a dark story. But so, much of, so, so many times we try and live our lives from a place of trying to fit into the mm -hmm. Procrustarian uh, bed instead of in um, our own authentic life that's actually perfectly suited and perfectly fitted for us. Um, mm. Well, that was sort of a long answer to your question. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> what a fabulous answer because just, just what we've said, that one piece, Megan, which was... Uh, Five minutes, <laughs> okay. You have no doubt inspired hundreds of people to take the chance, to make the move, to make the shift, because looking at you, you've done so magnificently well and just, you've, you've taken a dive into all these areas that uh, where your heart has brought you to and that's inspirational for, for the rest of the the people who might be listening to this who are very hesitant to make those moves, to, to take what they would call a chance. Yeah, and I think the biggest, the biggest chance we can take is uh, the chance to trust life. And that doesn't necessarily mean 
taking, I, I tend to take these big, wide jumps. Um, I think the biggest jump you can take in terms of trusting life and yourself is to, to be able to be deliberate and pay attention to this moment right now. So we think it's this big global thing, like, okay, if I left this corporate job, then I would be able to express myself fully. Or if I um, only had uh, a new husband, a new wife, if I was only 20 pounds lighter. And this future thinking, this way of looking like, if this happened, then I would be happy, um, is backwards. So the big leap, the chance that you really have to take is to move deeply within to paying attention to yourself, to this, to this experience, um, not in a narcissistic way, but in a way in which, I don't even know how to put this, a way in which you are, uh, are very aware of what's happening with your emotions, with that, what's happening to your feelings, how that affects the relationships that you're in, how you're using your mind to uh, be curious, to explore, to say, what if? to be connected to a deeper meaning and purpose in everyday life. doesn't even mean that externally anything changes, but you're exploring these questions for yourself. That's the biggest chance uh, that one can take, with the biggest payoff, I might add, as well. Yes, I, I completely agree. Look where we're at now. <laughs> Guessed it, right? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Who would have I mean, guessed it? I mean, from from just meeting to put on putting on your online workshop, all the way to co-producing with you, and now you're back as a guest here on our show. And uh, next, you'll have your own show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here, here's the truth of it: you can lay out these beautiful plans, uh, and it's oh. really taking the steps towards the goals. Because really, when you come right down to it. Does any goal or any destination ever look the way that you think it would look when you first started? Um, it's never happened that way to me. It's that leap of faith um, that the net will af- appear, and it may look different than what you have imagined in your mind. Yes, and that's the fun part. That's the adventure. That is the fun part. That's the that's adventure. The adventure. <laughs> yes, yes, Yahoo. So, Megan, now um, it's been a while since we've <laughs> sort of connected and been in touch. Well, we're always in touch, but still, you know. Uh, what have you been up to? You are always keeping busy and, you know, really uh, running right alongside, parallel with us in some way, shape, or form. What have you been up to? Yes, yes. So um, I've taken another leap, I guess you could say. Uh, that leap has taken me to learning a new language. And it's not French, it's not Spanish, it's not Italian. It is the language of positive psychology. That's what I spent the last year learning with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar at Kripalu. And I'll tell you, quite frankly, that it was a language I was oblivious to 12 months ago. And in fact, when Kripalu actually asked me to build out uh, their online learning and their certificate in positive psychology was that first program, I looked at the person I was talking to. I said, you know, what is this positive psychology stuff? Why are you bringing that lesson in first? And by the way, who is this Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar? <laughs> <laughs> That's usually my thing. Who's that? <laughs> Who's that? Who is I thought that, you anyway? knew everybody in that world. Oh, good. I feel good now. <laughs> so, apparently, I am out of the loop on this one, Christina, because apparently both positive psychology and Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar are rather a big deal. Um, and for me, this, <laughs> they're very well known. Uh, for me, though, and maybe there are other listeners, too, who has who have never heard of positive psychology. Um, For me, this past 12 months have been like, wow, I just never knew this existed. See, when when we talked last time, we talked about uh, A Minute for Me, which is one of the programs I did for you, and um, using yoga to live with ease. Those programs really focused on those, uh, those concepts of living deliberately, And I went at those concepts from the perspective of first being human, uh, you know, living this human experience as a mother, as um, a woman, as a business person, um, all of these components. So I talked a lot about in the programs that we did before my experience and how I use those stories of my life to gain more self-awareness. But I also came at it from yoga because like I said, that is really my main focus is how one of the 
perspectives I use in viewing the world. But this positive psychology is tough. I'll tell you, this gave me a whole nother language. What positive psychology looks at is the science of happiness. Mm. Mm. So when we say the science of happiness, it's based on data, on research, on really rigorous research. So science-based. It's science-based, yes, uh, which is really fascinating to me because the way that I've moved through the world, and I think actually a lot of yoga practitioners move through the world, is in a way that's highly kinesthetic, right? We yes. feel our way through the world. Um, or as Leo Bascalia said, braille your way into mm. life. I love that image. That um, there's, a, there's a tactile way in which we have a felt sense about which direction to head. But what what the idea of positive psychology from a science perspective has given me is this ability to both leverage the kinesthetic uh, way of life with this data. I could I love efficiency, so I can look at these studies in this field of positive psychology. And I can say, ah, the science is saying this is the most efficient way to do X, Y, Z, or to experience greater levels of happiness or flourishing or life satisfaction. And I could incorporate them in my felt sense way of being and bring both together. I could do it more efficiently and um, with more discrimination because, I mean, if you go into a self-help book, uh, bookstore, I mean, you could just see rows and rows and rows of self-help book. Where do we go? Where do we get started? Um, looking at the science of positive psychology can give us really um, a very, very, logical path by which to open the heart and feel more grounded in our life. So for me, that's what I've been up to. I've been both building with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar and Kopalu the Certificate in Positive Psychology Program, which is wonderful, uh, and taking it for myself as a student. So I've been learning this new language since we last spoke. Uh, this is amazing because uh, really, if people who don't come from the background of the spirituality and they hear the yogis and people talk about following your heart and living life <laughs> deliberately. Yes. They don't, it's hard. It's not easy for them to take in. It's like, oh, that's a, such a woo-woo world, you know. So now you're saying that this uh, positive psychology is based science-based. So it's for those who are more linear, to, so to say, or, or have a, 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 that way of thinking, it's easier for them to understand. Yeah, there's multiple ways into this idea of happiness. It's not exclusive to those of us who are kinesthetic or body-felt yogis. Um, this path of happiness is open to all. And what I like to think about is, um, you know, the Dalai Lama, who obviously into meditation, um, also looks at the neurobiology. Uh, it looks at the sciences. He tries to understand how is my meditation practice, how can it be informed by the science uh, and the same is true of yoga, so that the more that we as yoga practitioners, if we are kinesthetically based and love this idea of using our body to uh, feel through our life, that we can also bring in this data component, this research component that can inform us in a different way. Mm. Yeah. So it opens it up both for ourselves to learn more about our own experience through the data, and it opens up the doors wider for others um, who may not be, from a yoga perspective, um, wanting to enter into the doors of explore, exploration through yoga. Mm. Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. I, could you be more specific on how it does relate to yoga? So, Yes. Yeah. Let's... Um, Let's talk about that. First of all, uh, I want to relate a story about kind of the, the linkage in my mind between the emotional state and the physical. And I'll tell it by way of a story. I was working with a private yoga client, and we were doing, as we normally do, some movements, and we'd also talk about what the experience was. And when she came into the session, she described her um, work around this one particular problem is that she was cultivating patience and she was working her, her idea of uh, what, what was happening was it was difficult, but she was working with patience. As we worked through the yoga postures and took the body into different movements and cultivated awareness and had a dialogue about what was happening. Um, she said, you know, Megan, I think I was confusing patience with passivity. 
that's a really fine level of awareness between what's the difference between being patient, which has a felt sense of just a relaxed sense of things will work out with passivity, meaning uh, I don't really have much impact to change this, so I'm just going to be passive around it. Those are two very different emotions that could be easily confused. So in this yoga practice, we were able to more clearly discern, not we, she was more able to clearly discern what was the emotional set point. And I love that about yoga therapy in, in particular because many times in yoga therapy we talk about, you know, align the shoulders this way or lift up through the heart or draw this hip back or um, all these uh, anatomical cues. There's also a very big emotional component which is fascinating to me. So what, what I've been really studying with positive psychology is, along with the research, what in particular, how does that inform the yoga, the movement of our bodies? So I want to look at and show your audience a little bit about the research. What is the research about this idea of using our body postures as a way of developing positive emotional states? And I think I have a slide for you, too. Um, about this. But let me tell you first a couple of set the stage for what this study was. This one is fascinating. This was um, a study done by uh, Dana Carney in Columbia. And actually, Amy Cuddy at Harvard uh, was, was uh, involved in this study as well. And there's a great TED Talks video where Amy Cuddy in particular talks about this study. The research study went like this there were two groups of people. Um, one was asked to do what was called power posing, high power posing, and the other group was low power posing. Um, so in the power posing in one, they would be instructed to take up a lot of space. So they would ha be instructed to put their hands behind their head and their feet up on their table, just like you would expect an executive maybe to do, the character of an executive at his desk. Or to stand up with their hands on the table. Those were power poses. Those were expansive, taking up space. It had a quality of openness. Versus the low power poses where people were hunched down. Maybe they crossed their arms or crossed their legs or were um, closing in. So if you the slide, we can look at the slide, shows us those particular postures. One, the power posing the elbows back, the chest up, open. And the other group, the low power posing. What she did is when people came in to the, to the research laboratory, she took saliva tests and she measured two hormones, testosterone and cortisol. So testosterone is typically the hormone associated with power, feeling of power, of strength, of confidence. And cortisol is usually that uh, hormone associated with stress or anxiety. So they came in. She took baseline measurements of the um, testosterone and cortisol. Then she put people into the power pose for one minute. So they put their hand behind their head, put their feet up on the table for one minute. She'd take them out of that pose and put them into another power pose with standing up with the hands on the table. That was one group. And then she would test again the testosterone and the cortisol. Second group came in. Same thing. Did a pre-test baseline of testosterone and cortisol. Put them into low power poses, which is the crunched up power uh, poses where they were sitting and they maybe dropped their head or their arms and legs were crossed. Put them into one low power pose for two minutes. And again, the other for one minute. And then the other pose for another minute. So a total of two minutes. Um, and then did that test again of the cortisol or um, testosterone. The results of these two-minute poses are, are amazing to me. What it showed was after two minutes of power posing, just putting this physical body in a particular setup, those people who are put into a power pose, a position of power, expansiveness, their testosterone level Rose. I mean, it was measurable. You, you could see their testosterone levels rise. That's what the results were showing. So they felt more powerful. 
but they actually had the chemicals that determined they were there. The physiology changed. So it wasn't just wow. like physically, they changed, the physio- physiology changed. So not only are they having more of the power hormone, testosterone, but their cortisol levels measurably went down. So just by putting the body, I mean, they're not asked to think anything differently. They're not asking to breathe anyways. They were just putting their body, their physical body in a different state. And I love this. I mean, isn't this amazing? I know their cortisol levels went down. Put them in a power pose, two minutes, testosterone rises, uh, cortisol goes down. What happened with the other group, the low power posing? Well, their testosterone level actually went down. Mm. And their um, cortisol level, the stress hormone, went up. So this is amazing to me. I mean, I, I can't tell you, to me, this is sort of radical, the idea that in two minutes, the way in which we hold our body matters. It matters not only physically, but it matters physiologically. Wow. Right? Isn't That's, that amazing? That is amazing. And now it explains why anytime I go into warrior pose... <laughs> Yeah. I suddenly feel this rush. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I mean, we, we can say that you know, that's the relationship between things like of our emotional state and the physical postures. Um, and that's not mm. the only science. I mean, there's other science, too, that is compelling to me. Um, and a Duchian smile, not just, you know, so there's these smiles where you could do a nice smile. But then there's an aduchi, what's called an aduchian smile, where um, you not just have this smile, but it goes bigger up into the crow's feet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the you know, regular smile just engages um, the zygomatic muscles. So it pulls up on the lips. But when you have a, an aduchian smile, it also um, activates um, the orbiculus Oh, I have to get into my um, science again. Uh, orbicularis oculi. How's that? The orbicularis <laughs> oculi muscle, oh, wow. which pulls up on the cheekbones and gives you those crow's, crow's feet. So, you know, don't worry about the wrinkles. The truth is the Aducian smile actually has been shown um, to raise those chemicals associated with positive emotions. So just the act of smiling is not just a physical thing. If we make it really heartfelt, it actually has a positive benefit. Another. <laughs> so keep smiling, so, so keep keep those crow's feet. I always tell people my face is going to be a roadmap in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you're a happy person, so good for you. Um, so you know, smile a lot, stand tall, and th- there's actually even more sci- interesting science. Um, John uh, Cassiopo from I think he's from Chicago, University of Chicago did this really interesting study where he looked at the movement of arms that he asked people to do one of two movements, take your arms and pull in like this. So the arms are coming up and in like, come, come, right? We do that naturally. Or he asked them to push it down and out like away. They were asked to look at some images, some characters and those people who were doing this with their arm motions, in other words, come in, come closer, yes, I'm accepting, um, actually liked the characters better. They were, they were, they were judged as being more likable. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> wow. So, you know, this idea of um, how we move our hands, the gestures that we, that we make, um, how mm. we smile and use our face how we stand and use our body. The relationship, from my perspective, is this relationship of how are we using this finely tuned instrument of this physical body to experience life. Mm. Mm. The manifestation of what's inside shows on the outside. Absolutely. And and, uh, what about the reverse holding truth that what's on the outside can actually affect the inside? Absolutely. And so, this, is, this is so funny you bring this up, Megan, because um, years ago when I was in an acting class, the, this instructor had a very specific style of teaching. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just reading and performing. He actually connected, the first three to four months was connecting the students to their body. 
Ah. And it was about, okay, it's so hard sometimes to come up with an emotion that you're trying to look for, especially when there's a hundred people around you, there's lights, there's cameras, you know, it's a little nerve wracking. Now, how do you connect to the emotion? He had us work from the outside in to create the emotion. So tell me more about that. That's fascinating. What it, did he have it is. Do? So, so something like, let's just say if, if it's uh, uh, something to do with um, a very sad situation and the, you know, the, the, how that emotion would affect us. Well, for, for a lot of people, it's very hard to cry on cue. Mm. So what he would do is take us through breath work and create the breath as if though you were in a very sad situation. And it's amazing how when you begin that in your body, just through breath, which is so simple, it immediately kicks those different hormones and different pathways start to connect. And the next thing you know, you are set into that emotion. And Mm. that was on every level of emotion from sadness, happiness, uh, sexual experiences. Amazing what the body would end up following. So for people who didn't quite know or felt self-conscious, it was taken in through the breath and the body and the emotion would connect. So it was, it was and where he learned it was through an indigenous tribe in South America. Mm. So, <laughs> so it was a very, yeah, it was a very fascinating technique. And so when you're speaking about this, about people, you know, raising the arms or pushing away, you know, it it immediately um, sets off a certain feeling in the body. It's like, you know, if you say, come, come, your arms are already open and you're going, come, come, right? Mm, right. <laughs> so there's a certain openness and happiness. You're, you're cu- pulling people in towards your heart. A- and then when you go like, Pushing away is like go away. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. an immediate response. Like stay so there. Yeah, Don't come it's close. Interesting that, it's it's interesting that we tend to um, compartmentalize. Yes. You know what is an emotion? Um, what is the intellectual concept of uh, happiness yes. or gratitude or appreciation? But there's um, a, a body realization of that emotion. That is, it knows. I mean, mm-hmm. this body knows that. Um, and so the idea of putting ourselves into a position of happiness or in warrior position of strength, I think it's really powerful to think of the linkage between what we're learning in this, the Western science of positive psychology and how that particularly relates to the yoga postures that we do. Imagine the power of not just getting into the warrior pose, but getting into the warrior pose with the um, heartfelt idea of strength. Mm. And that, that really is what is intriguing me at this point, is that, that ability to link consciously what we're doing and moving and using the body um, as a way of consciously cultivating positive emotional states. Mm. You know, you, should we try it? Oh. I mean, you know, one of it, it, it it's not a big deal to do, so I would encourage. Um, Let's try if it. If you're up for it, should you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, I have a I have a slide um, just that says, "Remember a time when you felt powerful, strong, or confident." And if you can't pick a time of when you remember being powerful, strong, or confident, pick any time where it was a strong, positive emotional state. So maybe it was a time where you were laughing really hard with a friend, um, where you were holding your child, um, when you were running a marathon, uh, when you were standing on top of a mountain. Maybe it was in your yoga practice. So we're just going to take, I'm actually going to time just a minute on my timer here. And what I want you to do is recreate that position. Now, you can see me, but I can't see you. So feel free to stand up and strike a pose, as Madonna would say. (laughs) Where, Where were your hands in space when you felt this powerful emotion? What was your face doing, in particular your mouth? How did your feet feel? How were you breathing? And recreate that in this moment. 
recreating the physical posture of the legs, hips, the belly, the chest, the arms, the breath, the face. Think of that felt sense. That was a minute. So, Christina, what did you notice? Oh, I noticed my, uh, oh, it's amazing. I love this. Um, My energy from my chest started to explode outward because my shoulders were rolled back. My hands were by their side. But I could feel this incredible energy just explode forward. And a, a sense of calmness. Uh, my face was relaxed. And, there, and, you know, like a soft, uh, a soft smile. But very, almost like very grounded, really deep in. Mm. Mm, that's nice. Nice. <laughs> Let's do that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I would encourage if anybody uh, wants to do so when you're watching live or even if you're recorded, after you do that 60-second um, practice of putting the physical body in a particular uh, posture and linking that with your uh, emotional uh, well-being, Type in or write in what your experience was. I, I would be very interested in hearing from you. So please do that. Let me know what, what your experience was. Because what, what we're building out, Christina, you had asked this kind of circles, full circle back to your first question of what's next. Um, actually, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar and I are building a program called Yoga Spire. And we have mm-hmm. actually a little slide up uh, on that, which talks about the actual yoga practice by which we consciously and deliberately link positive emotional states to physical postures, yoga postures. So it's a linkage of uh, positive psychology in yoga. So we're calling it Yoga Spire, and again, it links the positive and the emotional. So those two things are what's next, and we're um, I'm actually very excited about this, not only from a perspective of building this out, uh, but also in terms of doing some research on that. Uh, I'm really, have always looked at my yoga practice as uh, my uh, cultivating physical well-being, but also the emotional well-being too. I know I feel different after doing yoga than before. Um, So we're going to be doing some research on this. We're actually building out some uh, uh, research protocols by how do we measure this? How do we look at this? How do I get the data behind it? Uh, so I've kind of come full circle myself and looking at the <sighs> yoga practice in one way and now trying to integrate the, the data and the statistics and the information from positive psychology into this practice. Ooh, that's a, that's a nice little journey that you're taking right now, Megan. Yes, it's an exciting one. I like this. It is. And, and again, it's back to the combination of uh, the science and your woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> the science in your woo-woo. Yes, that's a very professional way of saying it. The science in the woo-woo. Yes. My husband likes to tell me I'm a little woo-woo at times, so there you go. Yeah. Well, that's magnificent. And and uh, through uh, Yoga Spire, uh, is that a course that you are creating Yes, um, uh, we're working. We're building out the the actual practice now. What does it look like to go take a yoga spire class, for example? A lot mm. of it will look very similar to a yoga class, right? I mean, because we know that these postures do cultivate positive emotional states, but there'll also be this emotional component. This really. Um, mm-hmm specific way of looking at emotional states and cultivating it. So we're actually developing it now. It will be um, hopefully unfolded at the upcoming uh, International Association of Yoga Therapy, the conference in Boston. Oh, I hope I see mm. you there, Christine. I don't know if you're going to that one. Um, actually, that, that was one of the nice. first times we, we met a very long time ago, the very first IAYT conference in California. It was the first time that we had our paths had crossed, I think, a long time ago. Um, or we were so there we'll at the a- same time, and we <laughs> we literally crossed. Our <laughs> <laughs> paths crossed. I don't know how we missed each other, but we did. Um, so hopefully, we'll be unfolding the kind of the basic. 
premise of what it is that we're doing. Our idea is later this year, we'll have an online course um, about Yoga Spire. Mm. And then next year, our plan is to actually have a Yoga Spire blended learning course at Kripalu. So we'll actually uh, go on site to Kripalu, have a five-day immersion, have three months of at-home practice, followed by another five days at Kripalu. So a blended mm-hmm. learning program mm-hmm. where people get the best of the on-site work and the online work so you can continue your practice. Um, so this would be uh, become a certified course. Yeah, we actually will not be a 200 or 500 hour course. Um, this will be what I would call a specialty school where mm. you could take training particular around it. So you could be already a yoga teacher mm-hmm. and want to focus on this particular part of uh, the yoga practice. Or you can be an everyday pr- person, a non-yoga practitioner and still want to be able to use the physical body to develop emotional well-being. Mm. So it'll actually be open to all. It won't be a 200 or 500 hour training. Um, You can use it for continuing education credits, but it's not going to be a um, 200 or 500 hour training. Oh, that's very exciting. A new addition to the yoga therapy world. Yes. Yes, it is. I'm very excited about that. Yes. And and this is all done through Kripalu or Wellbeing Institute? A whole being institute. Whole being, whole being, institute. Whole being institute is the um, educational institution that Tal and I founded mm-hmm. uh, because we're both committed to this idea of whole person well-being. Um, that the a person um, can't be segmented into okay, you know, this is learning for the mind or this is learning for the body. That instead, the curriculum really needs to be integrated and honor the whole person. Um, mm. to really make the most magnificent change. So we actually, within Whole Being Institute, um, have a five-point methodology. And um, it's based on the methodology we're calling SPIRE. But to have the most uh, comprehensive well-being, these five things are spiritual well-being, which is that uh, well-being of meaning and purpose in your life, physical well-being, taking care of this wonderful body that you inhabit, Um, intellectual well-being, that idea of using the mind uh, to to further your intellectual knowledge, Um, relational well-being, how we we, um, work in our community with our family, our friends, um, the relationship between self and others, and then the emotional well-being, which is really the, uh, the positive psychology part. So this idea of the SPIRE methodology within Whole Being Institute is a way of looking at uh, human flourishing um, and then eventually being the change that you want to see in the world, that it's not just learning um, because it's good to collect knowledge. It's learning so that when you go out into the world, you can pay it back. You're firmly rooted in yourself and reaching outward. And that's what I love so much about that word spire. Spire means the highest point, but it also is the root word to breathe, Mm. to inspire, to respire. So that in order to make the biggest impact, we must both be rooted deeply in our own truth and authenticity and reach out to the highest point. Mm. That's what fascinates, and that's what Tal and I are building. So the Yoga Spire course will be one course within the whole, uh, whole Being Institute. Um, the other ones are like the Certificate in Positive Psychology, which is the one that is being housed at Kripalu. That's an 11-month-long program. And actually, our next course is starting in April. Um, I would strongly encourage uh, yoga teachers or yoga professionals, or in fact, anybody that's watching, um, if this material calls to you to check that out, because it's really a powerful program. Um, It's changed what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's changed so much that you have created with Tal, whom you didn't know a thing of a year ago, into collaborating with him and opening this uh, new institute together. How wonderful. I do do call him now my teacher. You know, Tal is... um, He's quite, a, he's quite a guy, so I, I'm very blessed and fortunate to work with him and to build this out, and um, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy to study with. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan, can you give us a, a little more uh, like of the vision of the, the Whole Being Institute? I know you gave us a portion in the Yoga Spire. Is that the first stages of development that you're going through? 
Yes. Uh, so we'll, uh, we ha- we're going to have a whole bunch of online courses around positive psychology. Those are being built out now and actually will be opening up um, this summer, which will be uh, modules which are about five weeks in length that dovetail anywhere from a relationship module about how to really cultivate strong relationships to coaching modules, how can you use positive psychology and coaching, uh, to introduction to positive psychology. Hmm. So for those of you who are unable to commit to an 11-month um, intensive program with a certificate course, maybe are, you're interested in taking a shorter course. Those will be available through Whole Being Institute um, very shortly. And the Yoga Spire curriculum is, uh, by itself will be available uh, in a blended learning program through Capallo in 2014. The online version will be available also later this year. Oh, that's... You would ask, did I answer your question or did I diverge? You would ask me the, the bigger vision of, of yes. Whole Being Institute? Yes. Yeah, I mean, the vision is, is, is um, very simple, um, to help people be the change they want to see in the world. Uh, you know, it's interesting that we think the change happens out there. You know, it's something we do if we, if we, if we had, if we had the, um, I don't know, the right organizational structure or the right material, we could, we could implement the change. But really, change happens first internally, and then we move out into the world. So very, very simplistically, uh, Whole Being Institute um, helps people be the change they want to see in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, it's, uh, you know, you hit on something that, that, was, that keeps coming up a lot when, when we're in conversations with people and they say, they say to us, oh, well, yes, you know, we hope that that will begin to happen. <laughs> we constantly hear that, oh, well, maybe one day. <laughs> Whereas uh, what I'm hearing from you is um, to actually create that awareness in individuals to begin to cultivate it within themselves first. Yeah, and I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, um, this came up when we were developing the Yoga Spire curriculum. Um, Tal and I had this uh, back-and-forth dialogue about affirmations, for example. So if we wanted to create more joy and happiness and peace and patience in the world, but we're feeling really impatient, angry, and mad, um, you know, how, how do we reconcile that? And so there's a lot of the self-help will tell us, well, just use an affirmation. You know, everything will be okay, or uh, I am peaceful, or I am happy. Um, in fact, some of the science shows if you have low self-esteem and you try and put on or use those affirmations, um, they, they don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that? Um, well, it, you know, one of the things is, is that when we try and affirm something that's so outside of our, our ability to hold it, uh, in other words, we might think the affirmation of I'm beautiful and great and I'm feeling really low and miserable, <laughs> that there's such a difference between that um, that the body will and the mind will take, um, will, will not live with that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll go with the reality. So instead of affirmations, um, it's really focusing on using the body in a way that feels cons- uh, consistent and in alignment with that. So it's not a fake affirmation. It's uh, maybe one degree in, this, in the right direction towards patients. Um, so for example, let's take a real life example. I don't want to get too philosophical. I want to get it, keep it grounded within the body. So if we're at a grocery store, and we're tapping our foot and we're feeling really impatient with this person in front of us because they're having a conversation with the teller. And, you know, we're tapping away and we're getting angry and we feel angry inside. And we use the affirmation, you know, I'm peaceful, I'm loving. And we <laughs> Meanwhile, our foot's tapping. <laughs> you know, I, I got to tell you on the side of this, uh, Christina, a friend of mine gave me uh, little post-it notes one Christmas that said, um, I do yoga, I drink green tea, and still I want to smack someone. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so, uh, you know, it, it doesn't help when we try and 
put on these these affirmations that are just so against what our experience is in our body. But what if instead of that of trying to force an an affirmation that, that is so far from our reality that it's just discounted by the mind body? What if we were to stop tapping our foot, breathe deeply into the belly, inhale into the chest? And remember a time when we were patient and let that emotion of patience be um, expressed through the physical body. Mm. That's a little, that's probably a little more realistic than um, trying to put on a emotional state that is so far from the truth. It just doesn't, it doesn't jive. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes total sense. That completely makes, I mean, thank you for that, Megan. Uh, <laughs> you know, what brought to mind too is you know this Mary Oliver, who I love as a as a poet. Um, her wild geese. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that poem. It's a beautiful poem, and in it she writes, uh, "You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert <laughs> repenting." I think that's just a beautiful way of saying, well, she actually finishes that line by saying, you only have to um, uh, let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And that to me is sort of the essence of Yoga Spire is that when you settle down into your body and you begin to really consciously cultivate the body as a fine instrument um, to be aware of what does it love? What does this body, uh, you know, love in this moment? Um, so you know, we don't have to work to, we don't have to work really hard at it. We don't have to walk through the desert for a hundred miles on our knees. Um, it can be a lot more fun. It could be a lot more simple um, and more natural and organic. That's so interesting that you say that because um, you know how we go through life when it, and we go, oh, you know, I would really like to be able to do that and I'm going to start doing that. We get fully focused and delve into something and, and you know, it's for a moment and we kind of back off. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like a diet. We go full force into it and, and okay, I'm going to do this with my diet and this is how I'm going to make the change. And, and then as time goes on, it kind of drifts away. And I was just saying that this weekend, we were at the Natural Products Expo West and seeing all these incredible new products, et cetera, that was coming out. And, you know, I come from a background and a a lineage of, of, you know, a lot of food, a lot of different types of food, not always good for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hence why the family has a history of cholesterol, high blood pressure, things like that. It's like, okay, well, I don't have all that, blessed be, that I, I made the change early, but being and I never could quite uh, understand um, the foods that we eat. And the means of yes, I feel better if I eat a salad, and I feel better here and there. But the body is kind of getting used to it. And through these years, I mean, this is this time I walk through, and just the energy from the raw foods and the new grains and everything that was around us, I said, "Wow, I can really get into this right now." You know, it was not. It wasn't forced. It was almost like a a morphing in time, yes. you know. Yes. And it was so uh, so true to the body. I mean, literally, I, I can hear those close to me. Going, I want a carrot. I want a carrot now. I, I want a <laughs> carrot. Can I just have a, a handful of that raw cereal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, you know, just, just give me a shot instead of tequila, you know, give me a shot yeah. of that wheatgrass. You know? yeah. I hear what you're saying. So this idea of what, what you've been living is, um, what we do again and again becomes a, a ritual and a habit. And the idea of just saying, um, being rooted in the body also becomes a ritual or a habit. The more you do it, the, mm-hmm. the easier it becomes. So wherever you are, it's a great, it's a great place to be. Yes. <laughs> it's a great place to start. You don't have to go anywhere or do anything other than turn your attention to your own experience. That's beautiful. Really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan, we had a, a couple of comments come in here. 
One was, uh, wow, thank you, Megan. It felt great to relive the powerful feeling of true well-being through that exercise. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. And uh, the next was, um, I hope I heard this question right. Uh, do you have to be a professional in psychology or yoga to sign up for this class? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. It's, and it's one I get a lot because uh, there's a mistaken impression that, that we need to be in a certain uh, degree or hold a certain credential to be able to learn positive psychology. That's not the case. And you'd be very welcome at the Certificate in Positive Psychology. We have people in that class now, um, all spectrums. So we, have, we do have professional uh, psychologists, uh, therapists. We have professional yoga teachers or trained yoga teachers. But we also have a wide variety of people that are taking this for personal development. We have retired people. I think our youngest is in her 20s. She's actually um, taking it for college credits. And on the older, uh, older side, we have people who are um, in their 70s. So we have a whole spectrum of people within the course um, all ages, demographics, uh, occupations that are learning about positive psychology, and most importantly, how to apply those concepts to build a happier life for themselves. We have people who are taking it, like I said, into their work, either coaches or therapists or yoga teachers or for themselves. And by the way, when you do things for yourself, um, obviously it impacts those relationships around you. So with uh, family and friends and your community, um, even if you're doing it for your personal development, there's a natural evolution of that having an impact in waves uh, of your community around you. Mm, beautiful. Uh, Megan, we're coming to the top of our hour here. Uh, how can people find out more about this? So Whole Being Institute com is the website. So whole being one word, wholebeinginstitute.com. Um, there you'll find a listing of basically the, the courses that I just discussed in this past hour. And also uh, there'll be a link directly to Corpalo, which we are ho- uh, housing quite a number of our programs. So um, for example, the Certificate in Positive Psychology, Acropalo, for those of you who would like to find out more about that, that's corpalo.org slash positive, and you can find out about the courses that are being held at Cropalo. Um, does that cover it, Christina? <laughs> that does, Megan. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share that we might not have touched upon? Yes. I would simply like to share that I want to thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure <laughs> reconnecting with you. And uh, yeah, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you. It's been a pleasure being uh, with you again in this way. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Megan. I mean, every time we get together, it's always, we have good fun and you always bring such wonderful awarenesses to us. And, and I love the sharing of your stories. I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you miss it? I'm right here with you. I See? Know, and, and your an hour goes in a blink of an eye. That hour went really quickly for me. <laughs> it did. It did for all of us. For all of us. Thank you so much. And hopefully we will get you back on um, the show again as this continues to move forward, this wonderful new venture that you have. And and we get to play more in the sandbox together. <laughs> Yahoo. I'm all for that. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> thank you, Megan McDonough. I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live every Tuesday for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, 1.30 Eastern Time, Wednesday for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. Again, if you would like to learn more about the upcoming programs and courses for A Course in Positive Psychology, it is offered at Kripalu. Please visit kripalu.org forward slash positive. And if you would like to be in touch or continually informed about what wholebeinginstitute.com is offering, please go to wholebeinginstitute.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And until next time, namaste. Namaste.